Last, last week we read the story of Abraham being shown the stars and God promising his descendants would be numerous as the stars. Later, Isaac would be born to Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah had two children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the younger and more clever of the two. He took two wives, Leah and Rachel, and had 12 sons and settled in the land of Canaan. Today's passage is about those 12 brothers, how they were fractured by sin, reconciled through God's grace, and found themselves all living in Egypt. Today's passage skips a large part of the story, and Reverend Joe will summarize what happens in between during his sermon. Listen now for the word. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I have dreamed. There were binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because his dreams and his words. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him from a distance and before he came near them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say, say that a wild animal has devoured him and we shall see that see what will come of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands saying, let us not take this life. Reuben said to him, shed, shed, said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and now lay our hand and not lay our hands on him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some midnight traders passed by, they drew Joseph, Joseph up lifting him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they told Joseph, to, and they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with, the, with sleeves taken to their father and they said, this we found, we now, we now, whether it is your son's robe or not, he recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Realizing that their 
that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we have done to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you forgive the crime your brothers of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please for, forgive the crime of the servants of, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said, said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So, if you think you have a dysfunctional family, I invite you to read the Old Testament. Cain was one of the first two brothers on earth, and he managed to murder the other one. Noah, for all of his virtues, was also an alcoholic who cursed his son Ham to a life of exile and slavery. Last week, we read about Abraham, who abandoned his son Ishmael uh, once he had a new heir to his house in Isaac. Then there's Jacob, the father in today's story, who had his name changed to Israel. And he was once the obnoxious younger brother, too. Now, I have a younger brother who I love very much and is nothing like Jacob, um, but I am starting to look over my shoulder after reading these stories. Having siblings is dangerous stuff. Yet, being siblings is one of the primary metaphors for our relationship to one another as Christians. God is the father, mother, and creator of us all, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. You've probably noticed that I call you sisters and brothers a lot during worship. And that is something that I pull directly out of scripture and the history of the early church. In the New Testament, the word for other Christians is not Christians or even believers, but Adelphoi or siblings. So despite this bloody and tumultuous history of sibling rivalries, we've still chosen being siblings as one of the central metaphors of our faith. I think it's because religious communities, like families, can get messy, broken, downright sinful. But we have a bond that cannot be forsaken. God has the power and the desire to bring wholeness and reconciliation. Today we get one of the best Bible stories about a reconciled family. And the power of God to transform something that is evil into something good. Of all the Old Testament stories, the story of Joseph captures the spirit of the gospel so powerfully. It really is a shame that it's not more well known. It pains me to summarize this story so quickly. In fact, I wrote another sermon in which I spent 15 minutes just retelling the story of Joseph. Um, but in the end, I decided to go with this summary instead of a entire paraphrase. So here it goes. Joseph is the favored son of the favored wife. Ten of his eleven brothers conspire against him and sell him into slavery. Joseph winds up in Egypt, where he proves himself to be a very valuable 
a wise and capable slave. So much so that Pharaoh learns of him and asks him to interpret his dream. The dreams warn Pharaoh that there will be a large famine and that there are only seven years left to prepare for it. Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the preparations for this famine, making him a very powerful person. The famine hits the whole world and it hits Joseph's brothers. And they go to Egypt looking for food. Joseph recognizes them and they don't recognize him. So he tests them. And eventually he finally reveals himself to them. They are afraid, but he assures them not to be afraid and to bring Jacob or Israel down to Egypt so that they can all resettle there because the famine is not going to end for many years. Jacob is reunited with his lost son, lives to old age, and then dies. And then we get this last part of today's passage. After Jacob's death, when the brothers still worry that Joseph holds a grudge, but Joseph assures them not to worry. You see, Joseph transcends the need for revenge because he understands the bigger picture and knows that God is at work in this world. Even though his brothers abandoned him, God never did. Through God's guidance and power, Joseph was able to rise in Egypt and save an entire land from famine. It doesn't make what the brothers did right. But it does take away Joseph's desire for revenge. This is what he understands when he tells his brothers, even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good. God was able to redeem your act of wickedness and sin and turn it into something life-giving. This ending is why the story of Joseph starts to sound so much like the story of the Gospels. Despite our brokenness, God brings wholeness. Despite our sin, God brings redemption. Despite betrayal, God brings reconciliation. Since Joseph was dead in the eyes of his father and then his return to life, there is even a theme of resurrection that our tears of sorrow will be transformed into tears of amazement and joy. Sadly, I think that the story of Joseph gets short shrift in our churches and our culture. Sure, there's the Andrew Lloyd Webber play, and, but it's nothing like the Ten Commandments. Donny Osmond, Charlton Heston. The Moses story is epic and rewarding. There are good guys and there are bad guys, and the bad guys get plagues and the good guys get the promised land. It's written for Hollywood, action-packed, great special effects, and a storyline that feeds our innate sense of justice. But the Joseph story is subversive, like the Gospels. Yes, God is always helping the underdog in Joseph, but it violates our basic sense of justice and fairness, now doesn't it? Not only do the bad guys go free, they are rescued by the very brother that they betray. And the bad guys don't even get to be proper bad guys. They have their own moments of humanity and virtue, and each go on to be a founder of a tribe of Israel. If the story of Moses is the Hollywood blockbuster, then the story of Joseph is that indie film that was popular with the critics but didn't resonate with an audience. Because the audience wants that fantasy, 
of a black and white moral universe. But listen to the stories of Jesus, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Jesus, too, challenges our sense of right and wrong and helps us understand that God's grace is not victory for the good guys and punishment for the bad guys. It's new life and resurrection for everybody. Like Joseph, who forgives his brothers who betray him, Jesus forgives his disciples for betraying and denying him. And he even forgives his tormentors on the cross. Jesus knows that God will take this pain and take this suffering and turn it into something redemptive, something that will save us all. The important thing to remember about the story of Joseph is that these aren't mere characters in a play. These stories are the origin stories of our ancestors. And they are relevant for two reasons. One is where you come from is important. We've got to know our roots. And two, in a deep spiritual way, these aren't the stories of the past at all, but our current condition today. We are a family that has been broken by jealousy, favoritism, betrayal, sin. I can think of a sibling rivalry right here in America. Race relations are at the top of headlines in a way that I don't ever remember, uh, except for when I was a child in Los Angeles during the LA riots. What pains me most about the current debate is that too many folks are forgetting their history and where we've been as a nation. There is no doubt as to which American brother was put in a pit and sold into slavery. We know who's been wronged in this story. If our American family is ever going to be reconciled, if we're ever going to come, overcome the sin of racism that haunts our past and our present, we're going to have to come to each other in honesty and compassion. We have to put down our pride and humble ourselves. Joseph's brothers didn't come to him with excuses. They didn't tell him, well, you know, you kind of had it coming. You're a real jerk. Or, you know, that was a long time ago, Joseph, and you're doing pretty good for yourself now, so maybe you should get over it. No, if we're ever going to get anywhere, we need to open our minds and our hearts. When I hear productive conversations, Conversations that move us forward and make us more whole. They are always characterized by compassion and humility. So my question is this. What kind of sisters and brothers are we going to be to each other? Are we going to see each other's humanity? Are we going to have the compassion and the humility to do our part in improving race relations in this country. Trust me, this topic isn't going away. And it's going to come up with friends and family. And I hope you even get a chance to talk to people across racial and political lines. You're going to have opportunities in the future, big and small, to add some love and some understanding to the dialogue. 
Personally, I pray for the wisdom of when to speak up, when I need to speak up. And more importantly, when to listen, when I need to listen. I also hope that I can confess when it's my turn to confess and forgive when it's my turn to forgive. Confession and forgiveness are crucial because denial and revenge, these two things are toxic and destructive to peace and reconciliation. So what's the story of our American family going to be? Are we going to be the country with the terrible legacy of oppression that is stuck in denial? Or are we going to do what the brothers finally do in this last chapter of Genesis? It takes decades for them to have this conversation and address the issue directly. Will we have the strength and the humility needed to get to that reconciled future where God's grace transforms and makes new the future that all of us deserve? The future I want for my kids. You see, straight, gay, white, black, male, female, Christian, Muslim, Republican, Democrat, we are all bound together in our shared humanity. God has made us family. And having siblings is dangerous stuff. Lord knows we've hurt each other. But I have faith that those early Christians knew the truth when they called each other Adelphoi or siblings. Our bonds are strong enough. Our bonds are valuable enough to be redeemed. God shows us again and again how our pain, our suffering, our sin can be transformed into resurrection and new life. What we intend for harm God can make for good. With confession, forgiveness, and faith, sibling rivalries can become sibling harmony. Thanks be to God and her amazing grace. Amen.